So continuing with our series of the anatomy of the soul, today we're going to concentrate on understanding the garments of the soul, and we're going to move into understanding the relationship between the soul and the ten spherot, which we've mentioned in passing, but we haven't really touched on. So there are three garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action. And even though sometimes the, the first one, thought, sometimes we think of that as the pow- power of the soul, but actually it's not. In other words, the, the paradigm we've been using all along is the soul as an inverted iceberg, where an iceberg has the vast majority of its body under the water, and only a little tip sticks up. So what you see is just really, as the idiom says, the tip of the iceberg. But you're aware that there's this huge mass of ice that you can't see. So we're told that the soul is just the opposite. The vast majority of the soul is above and does not even come down into the body. And the part of our soul that is in our body is the little bit of the iceberg that we're aware of. As we've been saying, the greater the soul, or the, 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 the higher the consciousness, then the more of the root of the soul is drawn into the body. So we, would, we might think of thought, which is pretty, let's say, ethereal, is like up there in the powers, but it's not. It's actually, the soul is way beyond above thought it's beyond thought that's why through meditation we sometimes touch that place that's above thought that's pure light or calmness or peace or divine thought already is a garment of the soul so we'll come to understand that in in the thought and speech there are two divisions as to what kinds of thought and speech that we're talking about. So, in thought, there's in Hasidic thought, there's a division between what's called focused thought and random reflection. Focused thought is connected to the higher levels of intellect in other words closer to the powers of the soul and random reflection in a sense can go either way random reflection is we'll call it the power of imagination or the power of associative thought (coughs) where the mind can go to all kinds of places. Now that's not a good thing or a bad thing, but it depends where our mind takes it. We also use the, the example over and over again that the, that the mind is like a wild stallion that does not want to be trained. It, it wants to just run and not be uh, boxed in. It does not want to put it, be put in a corral doesn't want to be uh, harnessed at all. And so focused thought is when we're able 
to we're in charge and we direct our thoughts in the direction that we want to go now what's the we? the higher powers of the soul but most of us are, are totally used to our thoughts ruling over us that we feel that we can't control our thoughts so sometimes we feel the same about our emotions that we just feel the way we feel and we can't do anything about it so in neither case is that true we can't do a lot about it a lot about it and so therefore focus thought is really connected to the higher powers of intellect in the soul and random thought in the good sense the power of imagination is a wonderful thing and sometimes we will call this right brain and left brain where part of our brain is more analytical organized uh, works within set borders uh, makes priorities works on pure logic and the other part of our brain is the artistic, creative, flowing, associative part of the brain. So that's the difference that we see in, in thought here. But in especially the second type of, type of thought, in the random thought, is that's where a lot of control is needed. Because the power of imagination, when not harnessed, everyone knows the places it takes us and they're not positive they're not they're not positive so it's it's as simplistic as it sounds and almost corny but the expression of just say no works very very well when you are thinking things that you don't want to be thinking and but you think that there's nothing you can do about it but it's not true you can just say no I'm sorry I'm not thinking this right now this is negative this is not the real me this is coming from a lower part of my soul and I don't want to associate with it and, and cut it off it takes a, it's not easy it's a lifelong work it never ends but there are results to be seen and then there is speech speech is the intermediary between thought and action but it leans towards action why? because thought is purely inward no one knows what you're thinking no one knows what you're thinking so it's totally inward speech and action are both attempts to mold or affect reality we all know how our words can hurt and heal we all know that you say you know, just the, the wrong thing at the wrong time you can take a relationship of years and like you know and it goes down the tubes it's just like a few words at the wrong time speech has tremendous power in creating and forming reality on a deep sense thought has that same power but it's much more subtle a truly spiritual being 
can affect reality with their thoughts as much as other people do with their speech and their action. But this is already a very, very high level. The, the many, many, many books that can be bought now are called self-help books. And most of them are based on this principle where what the Baal Shem said way before, right? He said, think good and it will be good. That's what he said. Think good and it will be good. So therefore, the way we think is going to affect reality. But like we said before, many people don't really practice it. And so therefore, it doesn't affect reality that much. I was thinking on the other side is where, let's call it the power of will, where I want something to happen and I focus all my thoughts on it happening. All I'm saying is we all do that to some degree, but to have like major uh, impact, it's not as often. You know, as if you pray for something once or twice, and then you go on to something else, it's different. But if, if you're focused, your thought process is focused. That's what we call the first part, type of thought. It's called focused thought. So if you have focused thought, because focused thought is connected to the higher levels of your soul, and you focus it and you repeat it, then there's a gr- much greater chance of it creating reality. And if it's random thought, it comes here, it comes there, we don't follow through with it, right? It doesn't go, go very far. The big rage now is this uh, film called The Secret. And this is, this is exactly, this is the whole thing in a nutshell is what The Secret is saying. You want something, you just think, and it will happen. Just like one and one equals two, Zero. And it's true, but I have a lot of problems with this, <laughs> with this film, <laughs> right? Because it, it borders on the unrealistic, and I think it borders on the dangerous as to the expectations it raises in people. And when they're not met, then it's like, well, there must be something wrong with me as if there's no other factors in the world that might affect reality. So I know that here's a, a, a good example of a very good concept, and, it's, and the concept is even true, but when it's presented in its extreme form, it's, it becomes questionable if it's now positive or not. Now, as I mentioned, that in the film itself, except for, I think, one reference, the name of God is not mentioned, but what is mentioned over and over again is the universe. The way the universe works, the way energy works, the universe will take care of it. Okay, I mean, that's nice. That's nice for new age. And I believe that people watch this, many people can take very good ideas away from it. But, but there's still something a lot off about it. And, was, and I, I'm not the only one to say this. So I only brought that up because that's the whole premise is you think and you create reality. So speech is the 
intermediary because now speech is it's out there it's not totally inward and so therefore it has a much easier way of creating of, of changing reality whereas thoughts can change reality speech is just like I say a nice hello just is, is not like you're thinking about saying hello to someone and maybe they pick up on it and it's just hi oh hi how are you right you, you created a reality speech impacts on reality immediately immediately action is just one step further action speech affects reality but in a let's call it in a physical sense other than let's say the sound waves that are coming out of your mouth it is not really affecting physical reality what you say might inspire people to then act and they change reality but the speech itself is somewhat limited in how it can change but if you t- pick up a hammer and you hit it on the glass it will break the glass which is much more direct and immediate so we see a progression here in the garments of the soul each garment of the soul has more and more effect on reality now in speech there's also what's called profound speech and superficial speech profound speech means what it says in the Talmud words that come from the heart go into the heart that's called profound speech and then there's what's called from the lips and outward what we'll call superficial or in some cases hypocritical you say one thing but you really mean another or you're thinking another but then it depends you see, obviously thought, speech and action are all connected so in other words if the politician is speaking in order to get elected and it doesn't matter how lofty the words are but he himself like it doesn't mean anything to him he just wants to get elected so obviously we would call that superficial thought whereas those same words by someone who means them and when elected will carry them through so then we could call that profound thought so here's, here's a good example of where thought and speech uh, are very very connected they can be completely cut off one from the other that's what happens when you blurt something out in anger right? you're, you, you're not thinking that's the whole that's the problem you're not thinking you just blurt it out completely not connected to your thought process or you're thinking something and you don't know the division between when it's wise to say something and it's not wise we don't necessarily need to say everything that we think right it's not being hypocritical it's actually being sensitive to other people so obviously just like the powers of the soul they work together when we get to the sphere we'll see that the sphere of Netzach 
which is usually translated as victory or eternity, the actual word in, in a verb form, linaseach, um, is to be victorious, but excuse me, in a noun form, a minaseach is a conductor. And so we're told that netzach in the sphero, as it, as it affects the soul, is the power to orchestrate all of the diverse parts of the soul, all the diverse uh, stimuli coming in, all the, the drives from, from the, the animal soul to the divine soul, and to make an orchestra out of it, to make a symphony out of it. That's what netzach in the soul is. Here we have with the garments, now that we're talking about the powers of the soul, in a sense, shining through the garments in order to affect reality. So there has to be some kind of orchestration here, or it's, it's a total balagan. People saying things they don't mean, or thinking things that they should say, but they can't get it together to say. People acting without thinking. People saying something with no intention of acting upon it. Like you have all of these combinations that, that could be cut off from each other. Obviously the goal, as it says in the Talmud, is that one's insides should be like one's outsides. Our actions should reflect our highest level of soul. Here you have action, which is the lowest garment. It's affecting the physical world. But in a sense, it is the garment of the highest level of the soul. Because the soul comes down into the body in order to live and act in a physical world. If not, the soul would never come down. God would, would, would have created a different world. But there would be a world of souls and it would be just a different different world. But the fact that our existential reality is a soul and a body, spiritual within physical. Adam, the Aleph is the soul and the Dam is the blood, is the body. So therefore, uh, this is a, a good way to explain the importance of mitzvot. Torah is a mitzvah-directed religion. It's not necessarily a faith-driven religion, even though obviously faith is actually called the highest level of soul. But nonetheless, the, the, the Talmud says, Hamaseh ha'ikar. The action is the main thing. In other words, someone can think from today until next year mm. about the importance of giving charity. But if they don't put their hand in their pocket and give it to someone, it's, it's lacking. It's, it's very nice, but it, it's not what the soul came down here to do. Mm. The soul came down here to act. Now, obviously, we want to connect positive thoughts to positive speech to positive action <coughs> so that's why with many of the mitzvot 
before doing the mitzvah we say a bracha so you have the speech and before saying the bracha we mitkaven we, we try to have a kavana try to have intention for what we're doing so this is a beautiful example of how the garments of the soul work together in order to bring down higher levels of soul into our bodies and into the world this is the flow so this is a beautiful example and there and the idea of we'll call it mitzvah training that despite what we might think the, an individual mitzvah has a huge spillover into other parts of our life that we don't consciously grasp now there's whatever the mitzvah is or body of mitzvah let's say kashrut that we spend a lot of time trying to keep kosher Make, you know, the right, the right uh, pots and the right pans and the right food and the right uh, oven and you know the, the whole thing the whole thing and sometimes we think like, okay this is all purely ritualistic like what is this doing for my soul what is this doing for my soul <laughs> but a discipline like that where in certain circumstances one is really really hungry and you're in a strange city and there's no kosher food and you're, you're really really hungry if you're starving then you're allowed to eat anything but you're just really hungry and you exert your discipline not, not to just grab the first thing there because you look around no one knows me here no one will ever know no, except me. No one will ever know. The power to exert that discipline has a huge spillover in other parts of our life that we, we don't make the connection. So three months later, we have this moral challenge in business, whatever. Right? And we're like, there's a temptation there to do something, you know, not so kosher business wise. And, and there could be a lot of profit in it but and no one will ever know but no no I don't, I don't do things like that the Torah tells you not to do things they're connected they're connected so the idea of having kavana and then saying a bracha and then doing an action is a paradigm for spiritual life it's a paradigm for spiritual life. So I'm going to start with an introduction to the spheroes that is a very, very critical one because when we're learning Hasidus or Kabbalah, there's always reference to the spheroes. So the spheroes can be understood on three different levels. And this is according to the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, that in every... Uh, letter of the Torah and we have to remember that the letters of the Torah are the building blocks of creation so the Baal Shem Tov taught that there are worlds souls and divinity this is one of the the most essential teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and if anyone's seen the the Aleph Bait book by Rob Ginsburg 
which I had the great privilege of, of, of writing with him. So the entire book is based on this concept from the Baal Shem that each letter can be understood according to the way it manifests in the world, in the soul, and in divinity, meaning, as it were, in God's realm. And that's whether it relates to the form of the letter, the name of the letter, and the number of the letter. Each one of these aspects of the letters will manifest in worlds, souls, and divinity. So it's the same thing with the ten spherot. The ten spherot have mashmaut, have meaning on the level of worlds, souls, and divinity. So on the level of divinity, we'll start from divinity, the ten spherot can, can be understood as aspects or characteristics or energy channels of God. Now this gets a little problematic because we say God has no attributes. God has no form. God has no description. Nonetheless, one of the mitzvahs in the Torah is to be like God. So the Gemara says, how do we be like God? So the Gemara answers, like God is compassionate, you should be compassionate. Or like it says in the Torah, in Parsha Kedoshim, you shall be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So it becomes a bit subtly paradoxical that on one hand it is absolutely true that God has no description, form, adjectives, whatever. Nonetheless, in the Shemona Asrei, we say Hagadol, Hagibor, Vanora, but it's just language that we can somehow grasp the ungraspable. So it's the same thing with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that there is a part of God called wisdom or understanding or, or knowledge they're not compartments but we're just talking in language that we can grasp the way that infinity is channeled into our world and it's channeled through the Tansura so that's on the level of divinity on the level of souls and that's why we're, we're going to get into this this is the absolutely first thing we learned in the series was that Hasidic thought taken from the verse that from my flesh I envision God and explaining to me from my flesh means from my soul. And therefore the ten spherot become descriptions of our soul powers. Not really the garments, but the powers of the soul are reflected in the ten spherot. So that's the souls. And on the level of worlds, so the ten spherot is the infinite energy of God coming into a finite world through very specific channels. It's what we will call the genetic code of the universe. Just just like the genes and the DNA create the parameters of of a physical human being creates the, the, the body 
and the parameters of the body. So in the world, the ten spherot define the possibilities within physical creation. So that introduction, so we can understand why now it's important to understand the spherot in the anatomy of the soul. Now we're going to want to understand, not why, but how the ten spherot relate within the soul. And with that, we'll, we'll end this part of the class. Then we just play music for about five minutes, very meditative music, in order that we can take the concepts that we just learned and let them seep in through a short meditation. I will frame the focus of the meditation. So today we've been learning about the garments of the soul. So along with understanding how deep our neshamas are, in a very, very practical way, are our thoughts, our speech, and our actions reflecting the holy soul that I have inside? And if not, not to beat ourselves up. If someone always said, like, we're not supposed to beat ourselves up on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> to do tshuva is one thing. And sometimes, truthfully, we need to give ourselves a little slap in the face. It doesn't hurt. But that's not the point. The point is not to beat ourselves up. But just to, to get in contact with that deep level of soul.